really, really enjoyed these services. And it had been all right with me if this choir just kind of wanted to take off on another verse. And we just have a little Holy Ghost hoedown here. Be all right, would it? Praise God. Well, I am so delighted to be with you. And I felt like the Lord has certainly met with us thus far this week. But we're not finished. Really, we're just kind of at the halfway point. And uh, thinking and considering of all that God has done, there's so much more, I believe, that He can do even tonight, tomorrow, and tomorrow night. So if you haven't got in on this, you can before the service is over. You've got more time. You can still get victory. You can still receive your miracle from the Lord. Whatever it is that you come in need of, here in this service, I believe there's a God that is more than able to meet that need. Do you believe that? And I have, I have just felt a want to worship here. A desire. This hasn't been something you've had to pump up or prime or cheerlead. You know, the Lord made a decree in the Old Testament. He said, when you come to my house, he said, I don't want you to come empty-handed. I want you to bring something with you. I want you to bring a lamb. I want you to bring turtle dove at the very least. But bring something with you. Don't come empty-handed when you come to my house. Because if you come to my house empty-handed, it gives the appearance that I haven't done anything for you. So when, when you come to my house, you come with some worship. Because I want the heathen to know that I do something for my people. Amen. So if you come to the house of God and you don't worship the Lord and you don't praise the Lord, we can only assume that He hasn't done for you what He's done for the rest of us. But He's done something for me, so when I come to His house, I will give Him some praise. Yeah, I want to worship Him. That's not my text. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I'm thankful in this world of chaos that there's one that brings peace. There's people in this house that your father may not have been an example that he should have been in living for God, but you have an everlasting father. I'm thankful that I've got a counselor to turn to. Before it talked about a counselor and a mighty God and everlasting father, prince of peace, it said, first, I want you to know that he's wonderful. We don't ever want to lose the wonder. He's still wonderful. Before everything else, I want you to know, He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. And uh, I don't want to lose the wonder in serving the Lord, praising the Lord. I was telling Brother Blakenship before church, I was reading that an infant, when it's, when it's born, when it's just a newborn, its sight is not entirely developed. And it can only see just a matter of feet, maybe no more than 
four to six feet because its site has not been fully developed in the three, first three months of its life. It can only see just its mother and its father that, that is close by, its near surroundings. And I thought about when we come into this thing, we first got the Holy Ghost. We couldn't see imperfections. We didn't come to criticize. We didn't come looking for something that's wrong. But you, when you was a newborn babe in Christ, all you could see was the things that were right. Your limited vision could only see the greatness of God. Amen. I'm going to stay that way, don't you? I don't want to lose my appreciation for the things of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Man, it's so good to be here with these preachers and ministers, and uh, many of them my heroes. I love them very much. I appreciate this steering committee, uh, Brother Wood. I appreciate him so much helping us back there on that sound. Brother Johnson, Brother Elder Johnson, and uh, Brother Tim Johnson, and Brother Weeks, and Brother Thrasher. These men are doing a tremendous job leading this meeting. Aren't you thankful for such a setting as this? What a help it is to young people and families that are able to be here. And then these other these other men that are with us, these other pastors. And I want you to know I don't take this responsibility lightly. I know that uh, it's family camp, but there's sort of a focus on young people. And when it comes to young people in my church, I don't want just anybody speaking into their life. I want to have somebody that I believe and have confidence in. And so I, I've really been praying and asking the Lord to help us this week. It's good to be, as I've said, with Brother Hanscom, Brother Marler. It's good to see Brother Morgan step in here tonight. And I appreciate him so much. And I love him. And my, what, what preaching, what preaching that we've heard during the day sessions. I'm going to tell you, it's awesome. Both, both days minister to my spirit. And I'm not just saying this as pulpit filler or just words, but really, uh, it was just so timely for me. And uh, a word from the Lord that helped me, strengthened me, and blessed my life. And thank you, Brother Townley, for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And uh, that message today about prayer, that's awesome. You ought to get that CD, take it home, play it often, incorporate it in your life, because it'll help you. Prayer is where it's at. I know it's simplistic, I know it's sometimes overlooked, but it's still a great weapon that God has placed in our arsenal, and we need to use it. Yeah, we need to, need to implement it in our lives and make a practice of praying. And the Lord's really, I was talking to Brother Haddon, the Lord has really stirred me up. I've, I've prayed many years out of discipline, and I think that's a good place to start. But somewhere along the way, it's got to become a devotion to God and uh, to go to the dimensions that He wants you to. I really was challenged here today, and I, I want to be a better man of prayer. I trust that you want to be better people of prayer. If you have your Bibles, I invite your attention. Book of Psalms. Book of Psalms 84. What 
great choir singing tonight. Tremendous choir. Let's give them a hand. Appreciate all this talent over here to my right. All of these musicians and, and uh, singers and Sister Weeks directing this choir. All of these folks using their talents to God. Amen. Psalms 84 and verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth. Anybody feel that way? Yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. In other words, this is a safe place. Even thine altars. Everybody say altars. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I feel and have felt uh, since leaving here last night direction from the Lord. I'm kind of like Brother Townley. Rarely do I come to a meeting and I know uh, if it's several nights, do I know that this is what I'm going to preach the first night and this is the second night's message and so on. But usually I come and just kind of take it a day at a time and let the Lord lead us. And It's frustrating sometimes. You, you bring everything but the kitchen sink and seem like the Lord will start stirring you up about something that you don't even have with you. But anyhow, I uh, felt the direction of the Lord and I want to preach to you about altars altars in your life altars altars in your life would you lift your hands and your voices once again and let's pray that the Lord God of heaven would help us in the remainder of this service today Jesus we truly need you we desire God and hunger for your presence we pray Lord for your mighty anointing not only to be upon the preacher tonight but be upon this audience this great congregation of people that they could hear not only hear but receive the word of the Lord it would touch them, stir them and help them in this service in Jesus name we pray and would you worship the Lord right now and let's give him praise together come on let's give thanks to the Lord he's been mighty good to us this week so far hallelujah we got a lot to praise him for you got the Holy Ghost, you ought to lift up your voice. Yeah, that's right. If they can lift up their voice at a ball game over a pigskin being carried across the line, somebody in this house ought to be able to lift up their voice and give a shout of praise for the God that saved you and filled you with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I believe that the altar is a effective barometer that determines an individual's devotion to God. You can tell a lot about a person and their consecration, their commitment, their dedication to the Lord by how they respond to the altar. 
When you look at characters of the Old Testament, you can gauge the spiritual nature of these men and women based upon the altars that you see them building. You look at the patriarchs such as Abraham. He was a builder of altars. We find that routinely in his journey and following the Lord by faith. This was the father of the faithful. He would stop and he would build an altar unto the Lord. And often these altars were constructed in strategic places in his walk with God. The art of building altars was passed on generationally to his son Isaac. In fact, in Genesis 26 and verse 25, it tells us that Isaac, when he came to G.R., that he built an altar, that he pitched his tent, and he dug a well. And I noticed the sequence of that, the order of that. The priority was on the altar before he dug a well. And a well was important for people that had flocks and herds in that day, especially in that arid climate that they lived in. But before he dug a well, he first built an altar. Before he put up his tent, a place of dwelling, he first built an altar. And the Scripture says he called upon the name of the Lord. Other patriarchs and renowned men in the Scripture were noted for the altars that they built. After the flood, before Noah did anything else, he first built an altar unto the Lord and gave sacrifice of the clean animals that were upon the ark. You can study history and you can pretty well gauge the spiritual climate of the nation of Israel by looking at what they were building altars too, and what altars that they were tearing down. The altars and how they responded to it tells a lot about the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. And it talks a lot about the spiritual nature of the people involved. You watch a person's response to an altar. You watch how they spend time in the altar. And you can tell a lot about their relationship with the Lord. And as Pentecost progresses into the 21st century, there are a few things that concern me, particularly this subject that I'm preaching tonight. That is that I don't think that we value the altar like we used to. Because the altar is uncomfortable. It is a place of blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice. It's difficult to lie upon because it has lumps of consecration and bumps of conviction. But I remind you that before there can be rejoicing, there must be repentance. Before there can be triumph and victory, there must be tears. Before there can be a supernatural visitation, there has to be self-denial. You show me a person that shuns the altar, and I'll show you an individual that consistently struggles with carnality. That consistently struggles with temptation. That consistently struggles with sin in their life. 
But on the other hand, you show me a person that loves the altar, and I'll show you a person that is blessed. I'll show you a person that lives victoriously. I'll show you a person that has the favor of God upon their life. Some time ago, I, I was beginning to get concerned in our local church and our local congregation when altar service time would roll around and after a preacher, and I, I don't know if you realize it, but a preacher is not just filling time and he doesn't just flip through the Bible five minutes before church starts and and uh, go to the pulpit and preach a few points and expect you to respond. That if he's a real man of God, he's been agonizing sometimes for days, carrying a burden and praying and interceding for the right thing that God would have for him to preach to that congregation. Your pastor, he, he loves you. He, he knows that timing is, is everything. And a word fitly spoken can help somebody and strengthen someone. And sometimes it's very crucial that that person be reached in that particular service. That that person receive a word from God because they're teetering on the edge. And, and maybe it's that service that's going to make all the difference for them. And so there's that heavy responsibility when he comes to the pulpit. And sometimes he's been praying and studying and considering and weighing his words for days. And, and then I noticed sometimes even in our local church, it was, it was becoming a concern of mine, uh, that we would preach and I would watch his, his visiting preachers would come by. And there was so little time spent uh, around the altar. After the preacher had preached for 45 minutes or an hour, I would notice as some would come and spend five, ten minutes, get up dried, unaffected, and go on about their business. Go on to Pizza Hut or whatever and go with their friends and fellowship. And it stirred my spirit because I remember as a child that the most that I received from God was when we lingered in the altar. When we weren't watching our watches, concerned about where we're all going to go to eat after church or the fellowship or visiting with our friends. But we laid up underneath the altar and let some things soak in. Let some things really get down deep in our spirit. I'm going to tell you, that's where convictions are, are born. That's where consecrations are made. and That's where commitments are made. That, that's where really you dig out a relationship with God. Is when you learn how to linger in an altar. I'm going to preach tonight. Is that alright? I know it's a little different than last night, but I'm going to preach what I feel in the Holy Ghost. That's the only thing I know how to do. I appreciate shouting. I like running. You can tell by last night. I like, I like high church. I like uh, people to get on their feet, get behind the preacher. I think apostolics ought to be the most alive church that there is in town. I think apostolic young people should be on fire. They should be passionate. They should be praisers of God. I don't think the world's got anything that they ought to be excited about. That the church shouldn't be more excited about their God and what He's done for them. But 
But I'm going to tell you, I'm concerned at how hastily we can get up from an altar, dust ourselves off, and go on about our business after the Lord has spoken to our hearts, after the Lord has endeavored to deal with us and stir us up and move upon us. I tell you, when a word of God comes to you, young person, when when God's trying to transmit something to you in the Spirit, you need to stay in that position at the altar of prayer and lingering there and saying, God, I want you to speak to me. I want to make sure I get this. I don't want to lose this. What did the writer say? He said, take the most earnest heed to the things that you have heard, lest they slip away from you. Don't let it just be like granules of sand running through your fingers. Don't just leave the altar and go on about your business, but let change be affected in your heart and in your life. That's what an altar is all about. If you desire to be blessed of God, am I preaching anybody wants to be blessed? If you desire the anointing of the Lord, if you desire God's favor in your life, you need an altar because you can go to heaven without a beautiful building. You can go to heaven without padded pews. We can go to heaven without a PA system and without this microphone, without those drums and without the organ and without the synthesizers. We can go to heaven without all of that. But we cannot go to heaven without an altar in our lives. And I didn't say it was fun or it always feels good, but I need it. I need it. An altar is not always pleasant. Look in the Old Testament. That altar was the most prominent thing in that Old Testament tabernacle. It was the largest and most prominent imposing piece of furniture in the whole tabernacle court. It was right beyond the eastern gate. Before you could enter in, before you could go any further, you had to stop by the altar. I'm going to tell you, you can't circumvent an altar and have revival. You cannot circumvent a prayer life and have a real move of God. You cannot short-circuit old-fashioned prayer meetings and have a revival church. It's always been and always will be that praying people are what have revival. A praying church, God blesses. A praying church is a miracle church. A praying church has a visitation from God. It's an anointed church. And I'm just going to state this from the outset tonight. I refuse to worship a God that I won't pray to. We got a lot of people in this generation, they want to buck and shout and run and leap and amen and cry out and praise God. And that's all well and good, but they don't know how to pray. And if you don't know how to pray, you got no business praising God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We need an altar in our life. That Old Testament altar, it was a place where dried blood was. Stench, stink, gnats, flies. It wasn't a pleasant place. But it was a needed place. A mark of maturity in a person is when they will take what they need even when it hurts.
my, my daughter, she doesn't, once in a while she comes down with a cold, and uh, I, I, I bring some cough medicine because, you know, I like to sleep at night. I say, hey, baby, drink this stuff. And, and I, she'll curl her nose up. And I mean, you talk about the fights on. She doesn't realize it may not taste good, but it's what she needs. But as a person grows older, they realize this may not be the most pleasant thing, but it's a mark of maturity that I'll take what I need, even when it doesn't feel good. I personally don't like, I, I went to Africa some time back, and they said, this is the list of shots that you need. And I said, oh, Lord. Went down there, and, and I said, well, let's get them over with. And, and I really made a mistake. I took all of those shots in one day. And, uh, but it, I, I said, you know, this shot is better. This vaccination is better than getting yellow fever. Uh, getting this vaccination is going to be better than smallpox. It's going to be better for me to take this medicine than to come down with malaria. I didn't like it, but I needed it. You know, there's a difference between a hospital and hospice. Yeah. Yeah, hospital, it, it, it's curative care. Hospice is just palatable care. We're just going to make you feel good until you die because there's no hope for you. But if you go to hospital, they're going to make you get up after a few hours, uh, just a few hours after surgery. I, I went and visited people that had open heart surgery. I'm talking about had their, had their sternum broken, pulled apart, the heart taken out of the chest, uh, valves worked on, veins replaced, uh, and then just the next day, they're saying, you got to get up, sir. you got to walk. We don't want blood clots to form in your legs and go to your lungs and kill you. You're going to have to get up. I don't want to get up. you still got to get up. It don't feel good. I didn't ask if it feel good. you got to get up. Because we're not interested in just making you feel good. We want to heal you. I'm going to tell you, it's a mark of maturity when you can come and be preached to and you say, I don't necessarily like that, but I know that's what I need. I don't want just to be in a hospice church. I want to be in a hospital. I want to be whole. I want to be healed. I want to be saved. It's what I need to live. Get in an altar. I said, you need an altar. And I want to talk to you tonight about three altars that you need to build in your life. They were built originally in the book of Joshua. And all of them were built in different settings. And all were built for different purposes. But every one of them are important if you're going to live for God the way that He wants you to. The first one that I, I want to talk about tonight is found in Joshua chapter number 4 and verse 7. It is called the altar of memorial. This setting of Scripture is this. The Israelites have just came across the Jordan River. And I, I'm not going to take a lot of time but just to rehearse the story and bring you up to speed. You know that this is after that Moses has passed and Joshua's now the new leader on the scene. And it's time for them to cross over into the promised land, but yet the only thing that stands between them and the promised land is the Jordan River. And the problem is this. 
the Jordan River is at flood stage. It's harvest time. And it's out of its banks. But God said, I have a plan. You tell the priests to put the ark of the Lord on their shoulders. And in faith, step out into the currents of the Jordan. And when they do, I'm going to bait the flood stage of the Jordan. And my people are going to walk on over into their promise. And he said, you tell the people of God when they see the priest go forward uh, that they need to pursue after them. And this priest, uh, they step out of the waters of the Jordan. And you know the miracle of how that raging current and torrent was stopped. And the people of God walked over on dry ground. What an amazing miracle for all of these people to see. What an amazing experience for all of them to be able to take in that God has brought us through, that God has brought us to this place. I don't imagine that one person that was a part of that great vast congregation of people would have ever forgotten, would have ever uh, got to the place that they could not recount in detail what the Lord had done for them. But Joshua realized something. If the experience is going to outlive the feeling, we're going to need to build an altar. He knew that time would dull their memory. And there would be new generations that would arise and forget the mighty miracle that had taken place. And so the Lord instructed them to take 12 stones representing uh, the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, and place them on the underside of the Jordan. And if your children would ask you, what meaneth these stones? Then you could tell them about this mighty miracle. You could recount to them this amazing experience and how that God delivered you and brought you through. Amen. There will be times that the devil comes against all of us and tries to discourage us, tries to uh, cause us to doubt God's ability to help us in this present problem. God's ability to bring us through whatever it is that we're facing at the moment. But if you have an altar, a memorial that you can go back to and say, I know that something happened here. And if God done it in the past, and if He brought me through back then, I have this testimony that He can do it again. If He helped me through in times gone by, I know He's not going to fail me now. Because my Bible said Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some of you are, are, are reaching places and heights in the Lord. and You're breaking through to dimensions that you've never been to before. God's doing some wonderful things for you in this meeting. and God's answering some prayers that you've been agonizing and praying and seeking God for. I encourage you before this meeting's over, why don't you build an altar memorial and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this down. This is where God came through. This is where He helped me. This is where He gave me victory. This is where the miracle happened. Yeah. Praise the Lord. 
It's been 33 and a half years ago. Seven years of age that God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I remember, I can take you to the little ramshackle church, home missions church. Matter of fact, I can do better than that, Brother Marner. I can take you to the place in the altar. We're seven years of age. You say you can remember back that far? I'm going to tell you, when you get a real experience in God, there's something that happens that you don't forget. It's like a scotch in your walk with God. Amen. It's like, it's like it's shoved in there. And if you ever start rolling back, you come back to that experience. You come back to that place and say, I know it's tough now. I know I'm going through difficult times at this moment. But I remember what God did for me right there. I remember that experience and how the Lord came through for me at that moment. An altar of memorial. I was just seven years of age. I, I was just a young boy. But they told me I was born in sin and shaping in iniquity. So I need to repent of my sins. And that's still the case today. It hasn't changed. I still believe in old-fashioned repentance. I'm not up with all this assembly line Pentecost of rushing people through and saying they got the Holy Ghost when they didn't pray through. Brother, you better get it for yourself. You better know that your experience is genuine. It's real. It's authentic. That's why we can see you should have been there when I prayed through. I remember it. I know. I know because I was there. said, you need to be baptized. I took them at the Word. It, it, they said, it's in the Word of God. You, you need to be baptized. I didn't understand everything about it. I wasn't no great sinner at seven years of age. I hadn't been involved in a whole lot of filth and corruption. And I'm just seven years old. But I can tell you, when that preacher took me down in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins, when I come up out of that water... I still remember this moment, the cleanliness that I felt, the purity that I felt. It was not just a ritual. It was not just something that we did. Amen. But there was something that really happened. Sins were eradicated. Sins were remitted. In that watery grave. I'm going to tell you, if you hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Come on, I thought there'd be more response. This is an old-fashioned message of Acts 2.38. It's still important. I know it's basic to some. It's elementary to some. But you better never lose your excitement over this Acts 2.38 message because that's what saved you. That's my altar of memorial to God. That's what brought me out of sin. Clap your hands to the Lord. Sometimes I, I go back to that, that place, that location, a little low water bridge. We didn't have baptism in that little home mission church. We didn't have a baptismal tank. We, it was out on a river bank. And, and I go out there and I look and I say, right over there is where it happened. Praise the Lord. It's an altar, a memorial. 
I believe there's going to be some altars of memorial that's going to be built here this week. There's going to be some things accomplished in the Holy Ghost. There's going to be some victories won and some giants slayed. There's going to be some things happen around these altars that people are going to be able to come back here if there's a camp next year and say it was right over there. There's tears in that carpet. Amen. That's where I broke through. That's where the chains came off. That's where victory was won. When Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy, he tried to give the prophet Elisha payment. And of course, Elisha didn't receive it. And he said, well, I, I got an unusual request to make of you. He said, I'm going back to a pagan land. I'm going back to live with a bunch of heathens. I'm going back where they worship false gods and idols. He said, I want to take just two mules burdened of the earth. In other words, I want to take some of this ground, just a piece of this ground back with me. And I want to take it back home with me. I'm going to tell you, when you leave this campground, you better take something with you in the spirit. Because you're going back to high schools and college campuses and work environments where, where people are heathenistic and sinners and idolaters and don't know anything about God. If this is going to last, you're going to have to carry something out with you. Don't leave here empty-handed, but take something with you. Take an experience with God. Build an altar, a memorial unto the Lord. Come on, let's lift up our hands and worship the Lord right now. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One of the most powerful, powerful weapons that you've got is your testimony. The writer said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Yeah, the devil wants some of you to get amnesia by the time you leave the old campgrounds. He wants you to forget how God forgave you, how He healed you, how He saved you, and what happened here at youth camp. But I got news for Him. We're going to build an altar, a memorial that we can go back to over and over again. Not, not just a physical location. I'm talking about spiritually. I can go back to that and say, God, I know that you did it for me then. I got a confirmation in my spirit. didn't happen. Don't tell me that I don't have it. Don't tell me that I don't possess it. Because I know where I got it. I know where it happened. I know where I was when it took place. And brother, you can't argue with experience. You can argue with logic. You can argue with a whole lot of other things, but you cannot argue with somebody that has a genuine experience with God. second altar I found is in Joshua chapter 22. The situation here is that some of the tribes of Israel felt that the land on this side of the Jordan was more suitable and fitting for them and their flocks. Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they asked Moses if they could return. And then he told them that if you will 
go with us. We're going to go. It's going to be mandatory that everybody go together. And we possess the promise together. We want a unified front. And everybody's going to cross over the Jordan together. But if you so choose, after we enter the promised land, and after a period of time, you can cross back over. And once they've done this, they got to talking amongst themselves and, and decided, well, uh, what if in years to come, those that live on the other side of the Jordan begin to doubt our allegiance to them and our faithfulness to God? Just to make sure that they know which side that we're on and where our allegiance is. We need to build an altar. And this will be an altar of witness. They said, let this be a witness between us and you. We want this to be an altar of witness. In other words, we're going to settle this issue of where our allegiance is. If anyone looks at us, they, they, they want to know which side we're on. We don't want them to be questioning in their mind. We're going to build an altar that testifies whose side of this thing we're on. Let me explain. There's some places that apostolic young people don't go because we want the world to know which side we're on. There's some things we just simply don't do because we want the world to know which side we're on. There's some jokes we don't laugh at. There's things we don't watch. There's things we don't listen to. Why? Because we want this world to know we're on the Lord's side. There's things we don't wear. There's things we don't do because we want this world to know which side we're on. And it's not, it's not just because the pastor and he does and he's going to and he needs to and he has a responsibility to do so. But it's just not because the pastor restricts it. And it's not, don't put all the burden on him all the time. And it's not just because we got a rule book that we got to go by and the standard of the church is thus and so. But I went to God, some young people would fall in love with God enough and get so full of the Holy Ghost that says my Holy Ghost won't allow me to go there. My Holy Ghost won't allow me to put that on. The pastor's got to continue to remind you of basic things. Maybe you need to fall in love with God. Come on, some of you need to settle it tonight. You, you need to let the devil know which side of this thing you're on. I'm not just looking the part. I'm not just acting the part. I'm not just singing along and preaching along with a preacher. But it's in my heart. I'm in love with God. Man, my wife don't have to get up every morning and wave a marriage contract in my face and say, I hope you're faithful today. And I don't have to do that to her because we're in love with one another. Oh, yeah, we're in love with one another. And because we love one another, we don't look at anything else. We don't, we don't have any temptation to do anything. I'm telling you, when you love God, it settles the issue. I said it settles the issue. 
I tell you where the problem is. The Bible said there were those that would believe a lie and be dead because they received not a love for the truth. It's not enough to get head knowledge. It's not enough to quote scriptures. You can quote one God's scripture until you're blue in the face. You, you quote more new, more scriptures than we can shake a stick at. But until it gets down in your heart, until you fall in love with this message, you're susceptible to believe a lie and be deceived and be lost. I'm going to tell you when you love God, worship's not a problem. You don't need a pop or a primer. You don't need a cheerleader. You don't need a preacher to thank you over the flames of hell. You come to church. Spring loaded. Come to the house of God looking for an opportunity to raise your hands. Looking for an opportunity to run the aisle. Just looking for an opportunity to dance before the Lord. Just looking for an opportunity to give a shout of praise. Why? Because you love God. You love God. You love God. You know, there's several things that can bring a person to God. It can be a fear of going to hell. I think we all need it. Be stirred up every once in a while that there is a reality of hell. A fear of being lost. That can bring you to God. It can be the influence of others. It could be family members. Maybe you're a young person here tonight and you had parents that brought you to church. It wasn't really an option. You, you had to come. But over time you developed the habit of coming to church. The influence of others. It can be the benefits and the blessings and how many knows there's certainly benefits in living for God. I'm going to tell you if there was no heaven to gain or hell to lose, this is still the best life and the safest life to live. That's right. Come on, just think about all the things just by living the principles of the Word of God that you're saved from. Yeah. You don't have to go to rehab. Why? Because you're obedient to the Word of God. You, you don't have to, you don't have to struggle with all of the, the scars and the, and the terribleness and the hideousness of sin because you've been kept from all of that. And just as incredible of a testimony is somebody that has been saved from all of those things as somebody that's been saved out of those things. I'm going to tell you, don't hang your head because you've always lived for God and you've been pure and you kept yourself you maintain your virtue. Don't hang your head because of that. That's just as powerful as a testimony, if not more powerful than anybody's testimony. Because the same God that can deliver them out of it can deliver you from it to begin with. Somebody shout right now and thank God. I didn't have to go there. I didn't have to struggle with that. I don't have the condemnation of that. Troubles and problems and trials. God is merciful enough to allow them to bring people to God. All of those things can bring you to God, but none of them can keep you living for God. If you're going to continue to live for God, if you're going to be faithful to God, 
in longevity, you're going to have to fall in love with him. You're going to have to receive. And it, it does, it does have to be received. A love for the truth. Somewhere, it's got to get beyond duty and devotion and regulation. And it's got to become relationship and devotion to God. Amen. And, and love for God and, and desire to serve the Lord. An altar memorial of which side I'm on. And this third altar, final altar I want to talk about. It was an altar that was built unto him. It's found in Joshua 8 after Jericho had been defeated. Joshua said we're going to enjoy, or we have enjoyed, the blessings of deliverance and conquest. And God has given us this city. Strongholds have been brought down. These formidable walls have been flattened. God has came through for us and give us this city. But this city, we're going to give back to God. We're going to give some. I feel compelled to give something back to Him. God brought down these walls of the enemy. And God gave us this bountiful land to possess. And God gave us the victory. So Joshua built an altar that I will call an altar of offering in response to all that he has done. I want to give something back. If he has blessed you, if he has delivered you, if he's tore down strongholds in your life, the appropriate response would be to give something back to God. To give something back to God. I just don't want to be a pew dweller. I'm not just going to hold my ticket and wait until Jesus comes and everybody loads on the bus to go to glory. But I'm going to do something in the kingdom. I'm going to work for God. I'm going to let God use me. If I can sing, I'm going to sing. If I can go on outreach, I'm going to go on outreach. If I can evangelize my city, if I can teach a Bible study, I'm going to do it. Whatever I've got to do, I feel compelled to give something back to God because He's been so good to me. Does anybody feel like I feel? I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. Oh, but He's been mighty, mighty good to me. Have you ever considered the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God and the blessings of the Lord. I, I tell you what, I was walking around our sanctuary and I was just praying and I said, God, I'd be a fool not to put time in in prayer. I'd be a fool not to stay consecrated and committed to you because you brought this little orphan boy up. Amen. You, you placed me in a home that would teach me the truth. I lived for you and served you and you blessed me and you've helped me and you brought me to this point. I'd be a fool to not continue to live for you and serve you and dedicate the rest of my life to you so God whatever you want me to do that's what I want to do whatever you desire from me that's what I want to give to you if you ask something of me I want to yield it to you God because I feel compelled to build an altar of offering unto the Lord Jesus is passing toward the city of Jerusalem he goes through a certain village there's ten lepers. You understand that leprosy is the most dreaded, awful disease of those times. 
Matter of fact, if a person contracted leprosy, they would do their best to conceal it, hide it, until it became or progressed to the point that they could no longer conceal it. And they were pronounced by the priest as being unclean. This was a very devastating thing. Homes were busted up. Parents separated from children. Children from parents. Husbands and wives separated. Man had to live in exile. Woman had to live in exile. If they ever contracted the disease of leprosy. And when they saw Jesus, evidently the word had reached them that he's a healer. They called him the great physician. And they cried out, Jesus! Can you help us? Can you save us? Can you deliver us? He just said a few words to him. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And these men turned and just in a swift motion, they were gone. They were running. And as they were running, they began to look beneath those bandages and they saw where there was once ulcerated, infected, oozing sores. They had been dried up and they were healed as they went in obedience to the Word of God. One of them, a Samaritan, said, You know what? I know we're on our way to get our walking papers. We're on our way to be able to go back and be reinstated to our family and our friends and be a part of the community again. But I think I'm just going to take some time to give something back. I would be remiss if I just went on and I didn't say thank you and I didn't return any thanks. And he went back and said, I just want to praise you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Just a few moments ago, I was leprous. Just a few moments ago, I was in desperate need. But you delivered me. I want to somebody that feels like that man. God, I want to give something back. You've been so good to me. You've helped me so much. Would you stand with me tonight? You've helped me so much. You've blessed me so richly. You've been so good to me. I just feel like I need to give something back. Romans 12 and 1, Brother Weeks. Romans 12 and 1. you therefore brethren I beseech you I petition you I argue with you why by the mercies of God because of the mercies of God or because God has been so good to you that's why I can petition you to do this that's why I can confront you in this way it's because God has been so good to you he's been yes. merciful to you that you present your bodies. That you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy. Holy. Acceptable. Acceptable. Unto God. Unto God. Which is your reasonable service. Which is what? Your reasonable service. What? Your reasonable It's your reasonable service. It's the very least that you could do is to give something back after all He's done for you. After He went to Calvary. After He shed His life's blood. After He showed you mercy. After He's extended His grace to help you along the way. You need to give something back. 
It's not enough just to get a blessing here tonight and go on. It's not enough just to get a hold of victory here and not do anything with it. But I wonder if we could leave this place with a mandate from God that my life is going to give something back. I'm going to give something back. I'm building an altar of offering. And my life is going to continually revisit it. I'm going to continue to give something back to the kingdom. I'm going to get behind my man of God. I'm going to get involved in my local church. I'm going to be loyal to the church and the man of God and his wife. I'm going to get behind them in prayer. I'm going to get involved in evangelism. I'm going to teach that Bible study. I'm going to win a soul. I'm going to do whatever's necessary because I am compelled to give something back up your hands as there's somebody that feels that tug on your heart so somebody that feels what I'm preaching here tonight let's sing why don't you respond to God why don't you respond to God come on young man why don't you give it all to the Lord tonight come on young lady why don't you allow the Lord to, to touch you and stir you and why don't you give something back to him right now let's sing let's sing praise God let's give something back to him right now Thank you, Lord. Say, Thank you, Lord. Can you use me?